Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. gracious it's good to see you church family i'm privileged to be here preaching the word of god to you this morning Um, if you've got your bibles i would love for you to go ahead and turn to hebrews um, chapter 10 hebrews chapter 10 beginning in 19 and as you're turning there just uh, i gotta i gotta share um, uh, the best valentine's present i've ever gotten in my life y'all ready Miles is telling me to shh. There's no way I can keep this a secret. I don't want it. Jesus is so good that I don't want to keep him a secret. Amen. Well, this is second only to Jesus. I I got a whoopee cushion for Valentine's Day, y'all. My wife gets me. Y'all, if y'all didn't know what true love is, that's it. And my children and I, well, mainly me, but my children also had a good time with it this morning. Um, On a serious note, uh, I do want to make you guys, my church family, aware of some news. Uh, One of our saints passed away this this weekend. Uh, Brother Sam Thrift has passed away. And uh, if you're familiar with him, uh, be praying for that family, the Thrift family. And if not, uh, you can, the Lord knows, and you can be praying for them. But that service will be uh, tomorrow here at 2 o'clock. If you'd like to come and participate, we'd love to have you. Pastor Vaughn um, will be here preaching that funeral. I'll be assisting Pastor Vaughn. Pastor Vaughn was his pastor for a long time. And uh, I think it was 33 years that Pastor Vaughn was his pastor. And so we, I'm, I'm grateful for people like Pastor Vaughn who shepherd well for that long in a place. And that's just an incredible example for me to follow in so many different ways. And uh, um, a piece of information, uh, Brother Sam Thrift, he joined Seneca Baptist Church January 1st, 1954. That's a long time. If you're not good at math, that's just a long time, okay? All right, so Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 25. Let me set up my sermon before I start, okay? Okay. Starting in, uh, I guess it was July of 2019, um, your strategy team began to meet together to talk about who we are as a church. 
Uh, we, we just had never really wrestled with that question, uh, to my knowledge. Who are we? What has God called us to do? And how has He called us to do it? And so, by God's grace, your strategy team brought forth a vision, uh, a, a mission statement, and a strategy to you guys. And our mission statement and strategy are right out here on the wall in the foyer. And our mission is to help every person become a more devoted disciple of Jesus. And that's you and me. Amen, somebody? I'm not where God wants me to be. Amen? But praise God, I'm not where I used to be. Somebody? All right. Crickets. I need your help this morning. Uh, and, and how do we do that? We do that with three things. We declare the gospel, declare the gospel. We disciple the believer. And we deploy the church. That's what the strategy is for us as a church to do that. And we spent the month of January and early into February talking about that mission statement, how we do those things. Now, one of the things that we began to talk about as a strategy team is what does it mean to be a member here? What does it mean to be a member of a church according to Scripture? What do we uh, feel like it, it should take for a person to join the church? And what do we feel like it should, we should expect of every person who wants to be a member of the church? Now, and now I've been a, a part of Baptist life for a number of years. And here's what membership looked like in the Baptist church where I first... Uh, became a minister of the gospel. It was on any given Sunday, you walk down the aisle and you grab my hand, you say, hey preacher, I want to be a member of your church. And according to our bylaws, that was the only requirement. I want to come down, I want to be a member of your church. And right there on the spot, we would vote on them for approval and say, hey guys, this person wants to be a part of our church. What do you think of that? And the church would because we want to love people, because we want people to be a part of who we are, we would applaud and give God praise and honor and glory for adding to our church. Now, here's the, the problem with that. Uh, a brother or sister comes down the aisle, and they've been at our church one weekend or two weekends, maybe three weekends in a row, and says, I want to join your church. The problem with that is that I have no idea who you are. Are you with me, church family? I don't know you, and you don't know me. We haven't, as a church, gotten to know you. We haven't brought you in. We haven't, I haven't been in your home. I haven't sat down at a meal with you. I don't even know if you're saved. And so we began to talk through the process of what it would look like. And so um, the strategy team, beginning in the fall of that year, began to talk about membership. And we, we decided that there would be uh, just a handful of things that would be the process of somebody joining the church. And the process would be, number one, we need to have personal conversations with that, that uh, person, that member candidate, to make sure that they have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, here's the truth. I'm not God, and my wife says amen to that. Uh, I'm not God, so I wish that I had one of those spiritual CT machines that could look right inside every person's heart, and I could run that thing over you, and I could say, oh, you got Jesus in there. That would be great, but I don't have that. And so what I'd like to do is to sit with somebody a couple times and hear their story and hear how God is working in their life and changing them, etc. That's the first thing. We need to make sure that people have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. Isn't that kind of an important thing, church family? Amen? Second thing is that we make sure that they've been baptized by immersion and they understand what that baptism accomplished. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. 
That baptism is not a spiritual thing that washes away your sins. That baptism is a symbol. It's a symbol of an old life being buried with Christ and a new life being resurrected with Christ. And so we talk about baptism through immersion and make sure that person's done that. And if they haven't, we get that in order. The third thing that we ask them to do is to read our Baptist faith and message as Southern Baptists. We, this is who we are. This is our core doctrine. This is the, the stuff that we hold with closed hands. We're not going to argue over the authority of Scripture in our church. We're not going to argue over who Jesus is and who God says he is according to the Bible. We're not going to argue with our mandate as a church. We're not going to argue with this, this, these core doctrines. And so we ask people to read those and, and agree to those. Can you affirm that Baptist faith and message? The fourth thing that we do is we say, now we need to have you to have a conversation with the pastor if you haven't already. And the last thing that we ask everybody to do is then, after all those steps are made, that person comes or couple comes down this aisle. We saw uh, Mr. Jim and Miss Lou do that last weekend. We saw them come down this aisle, say, we want to join the fellowship, the family of God here at Seneca Baptist, and then I can stand and say, we've done all these things. I know this brother and this sister, and church family, how do we receive them? And last week, you guys applauded them, and guess what? We get to do that again at the end of our service today, and I'm so excited. Yeah, praise God. So we decided, on okay, this is what the process would be. Now, you say, Pastor, that process seems like it takes a little while. It does. And here's why I think that's important. Because as a pastor, I have to put my stamp of approval on your life. That's a scary thing for me. Because Hebrews 13 says that there's going to come a day when I stand before the Lord Jesus and I will give an account for every soul that God has given to me. That's terrifying to me. I don't take that lightly. You're not going to give an account for my soul. But I will be forced to reckon for you. Does that make sense? Do you feel the weight of that? So you say, Pastor, that seems like it takes a while. Praise God. If somebody wants to be a part of our church that much, if God's leading them here, they'll do what it takes to be a member the right way. The third or the, the next thing we talked about is, you know, what do we expect that every church member would do? What, what, are, what are we believe that the Bible teaches is meaningful membership? And so we began to walk through this. And so your strategy team came up with five things. And we're going to spend the next five weeks talking about those five things, about what it means to be a member. Now, you might be, have been a member here since Noah got off the ark, and we're so thankful that you're here, and you are a long time in the church, and we are so grateful for your faithfulness, but this might be old news to you. But also, some of this might be new news to you. You mean the Bible actually expects things of every member of a, a church family? And the answer is yes, we believe it does. And so we, as a church family, just want to walk through this with you. Now, uh, as a staff, Brother Tom and I, we planned this out for last April. But we thought it was highly not a good time. Last April, we just started this thing called the pandemic. And we didn't want to go into a, a, a series about church membership as we weren't meeting in person. We just thought that would not be a good idea. And so that shows you that the Holy Spirit's still working in our lives. And that's good news. And so we postponed 
And we uh, have been praying a lot about where the Lord has been leading us, and we uh, asked the Lord what He would want us to preach, and we believe the Lord has brought us to this point at this day. To, to begin a conversation with our own membership, and also to some of you who might be saying, you know, I'm interested in membership. What does that mean? I'm so glad that you're here. And whether you end up joining our church family or any church family, here's what God would expect of you because of his word, because of what he teaches us, here's what he would expect of you to be a successful church member wherever God might lead you. Are you with me, family? Now, you say, why in the world are we talking about this? I'd like to show you two slides that we have. The first one is a, a graph, a graph. Mr. James, I think it's membership number one. Now, here's what I want to show you. These are not my numbers. These come from the, um, the South Carolina Baptist Convention of our, based on our Beaver Dam Association. Now, I want to show you something here. If you look up in the top left-hand corner, you'll see that in 2000, the membership of all of the Southern Baptist churches in Oconee County in the Beaver Dam Association was just up over 20,000 people. Now, I want you to follow that blue line down and what you see is the, in 2018, the numbers were down 4,000 people, give or take. The membership of Southern Baptist churches in our area declined some 4,000 people. Now, here's what I want you to note that's astounding to me. Go to the red line on the left side in 2000. There were 9,927 people that attended worship services every weekend as a part of a Southern Baptist church. That was the average worship throughout the entire year of 2000. Are you with me, church family? Now follow that red line all the way to the right. In, in 2018, there were 4,674 in average attendance out of 16,784. Does that, does that make you go, is that right? I guarantee you it's right. I guarantee you it's right. And so this is exactly why we're having this conversation. Because Seneca Baptist and every other Baptist church has members on our rolls, on, in, on that blue line up there, that we don't know where they are. Or if they're going somewhere else. We don't know who's loving them. We don't know their addresses. We don't know their phone numbers. We can't get in touch with them. And that's really hard to shepherd somebody in that situation. Amen? Now, I want to show you one more slide that's more astounding to me. If you would, Mr. James, put up membership number two. Now, uh, that big green box, 79,500 people live in Oconee County. About 600 people move to Oconee County every year. And so this is our population in Oconee County this year. Now I want you to note that little blue strip on the right side. That little blue strip is the average worship attendance of Southern Baptist churches in Oconee County. 
Some of us probably didn't even realize there was a blue strip over there. What I want to convince you of today is a few things. Number one is that the fields are white for harvest. There's a lot of work for God's church to do. Amen, somebody? It's our responsibility to declare the gospel, to disciple the believer, and to deploy the church into that green field so that we might see people harvested for the Lord. We preach, we declare, God bears the fruit. Amen? But also, 4,000 people of 16,000 Southern Baptists actually go to church. So that's where I'm starting today. The first thing that, that Seneca Baptist Church expects of every church member is worship attendance. Now, some of us, probably because we're here, we say, well, duh, we're here. Of course, if we're a member of a church, you expect us to go to church. That makes sense. But that's not exactly what we see. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk about worship attendance or the gathering together out of Hebrews chapter 10 for just a few minutes. So if you would stand and honor the reading of God's word with me, I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 down to verse 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Would you pray with me? Father, speak to us through your word right now. Holy Spirit, I need you to come and be our teacher. Come and instruct us and come and direct us. We need you. In Christ's name, and for his glory in his church, we pray. Everybody said? Please be seated. Okay, so Hebrews. How many of you ever read Hebrews before? Need you to help me out. What a letter. One of the most theological, uh, three theologically rich books in all of the scriptures. Now, but I want to remind you of something. And we're doing this on Wednesday nights, Theology for the Church. If you haven't come yet... I want to encourage you to come on Wednesday nights. You will, have, you will be blessed. I can't wait for this week. Um, it's going to be a fun week this week. But theology is not just for our head. But theology is intended to reach our head and reach our heart and reach our hands. Theology that is good God theology should change our lives. And so the author here is coming to the practical nature of theology. Theology in chapter 10 is getting fleshed out for the church. And so he's saying, this is how the theology should affect your life. And I want you to see what he says, verse 19, Therefore, brothers, therefore, and what he's saying is, because of all that I've written from chapters 1 to chapter 10, therefore, therefore. And so 
He's saying, therefore. Now, I, I get this idea of worship attendance today out of verse 25. I want you to look down at verse 25, and then we're going to come back. It says in verse 25, or 24, excuse me, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the, the day, Christ's return, drawing near. I want you to understand a couple things about this, this word, not neglecting. Does anybody else's version say something different other than neglecting? Shout it out. Shout it in church again. Forsaking. Anybody else? Don't neglect it. Don't forsake it. Now let me tell you how this word, this Greek word, is used throughout the Scripture in the New Testament. Um, it's quoted of Jesus that he would resurrect from the dead because the New Testament author is quoting Psalm chapter 16, which says that God will not abandon uh, the body of the Messiah to Sheol. He won't abandon it. Paul said... Uh, on some of his missionary journeys, after seeing people come and follow with him, he said, they have deserted me. And that Greek word uh, here in the text, neglecting, Paul says, they've deserted me. The author of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 5, says that God will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. Isn't that good news? That's the same word, forsake. And Jesus on the cross, maybe the one of the most famous uses of this word, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That word, not neglecting, can be translated deserting, forsaking, abandoning. And, he, and Paul, or the, the author of Hebrews says, don't neglect, don't forsake the gathering, don't abandon the gathering. But instead, as you see the day of Jesus coming closer, it should be that much more important to you. Do you see it in the text? And then he says, do not neglect, or not neglecting to meet together. I love, this is one Greek word. This is one Greek word. And it, it comes from the word that we get synagogue from. Episynagogain. It means this. It means a complete collection, a complete collection. He says, not neglecting the complete collection of the saints. Here is how Paul uses it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul is speaking of the second coming of Jesus. When Jesus will come back for his own, he says this, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him. Now I want to ask you a question, church family. Listen to me. How many of you believe Jesus is coming back? If you didn't raise your hand, we've got to have a conversation later. How many of you believe that maybe he's coming back soon? Amen, somebody? Some of you go, well, all I know is it's sooner today than it was yesterday. Now, here's a, a theology question. When Jesus comes back for his own, will he come back for the complete gathering, or will he come back for part of it? Oh, Lord, I hope it's not part of it. I hope that when Jesus Christ comes, he gathers every one of his own children. Lord, I hope that he doesn't leave anybody out. But we know the truth that he promises that he won't. 
He promises that no one who comes to him will ever be cast out. He says in in John chapter 10, all that the Father gave me will come to me. He says in John chapter 10, in another place, no one can snatch my own sheep out of my own hands. So here's what I know. When Jesus returns, he will come back for his complete gathering. But here's the question. The author of Hebrews says, don't neglect the complete gathering. I think many of us think too lightly of the gathering that we call church. I've heard it said before, well, I don't need to go to church to be saved. And I I think people will say something like that because we've misunderstood a part of our salvation. And we most often describe salvation as, oh, praise God, He saved me from my sin. He saved me from hell. He saved me from punishment. He saved me from these things. But I want you to understand that salvation is like two sides of a coin. On one side of it, He saves me from something. On the other side of it, He saves me to something. The Bible says that He saves me into His family through adoption. Isn't that good news? Every one of us here, through Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, by me, in faith, grabbing hold of what Christ has done on the cross, God has made me a child of God. Isn't that good? I've been saved into the family. Into the family of God. The Bible says in Romans... Uh, chapter 11, that I have been grafted into God's vine. I am a, a wild olive branch. God has taken me, cut me off of that old vine, and he has grafted me into his vine. And now I get to bear fruit for his kingdom. I'm a part of God's vine. In Romans chapter 12 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that we've been made a part of the body of Christ. And though it's one body, it's got many members that make up the one body. We've been saved into that. We've been saved into God's kingdom. In second, or 1 Peter chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 1 says that we have been made a kingdom of priests to our God. We get to serve in His temple day and night. I've been saved from something. I've been saved into something. Are you, are you following with me, church family? Now, and then it also says, I've been saved into God's church. Now, did you know that the word church is literally ecclesia? It's made up of two words jammed together, and it means the ones called out. And listen, we've been called out of the world into his church, into his kingdom, into his family. I've been called out of sin, into righteousness. I've been called out of death, into life. Are you with me, family? Isn't that good? I have been called out from being under an old master, and I've been given a new master. I've been called out of fatherlessness into the household of God. I'm called out We are, the author of Hebrews says, a complete gathering 
of those who have been called out from something and into something. Aren't you so glad? Some people might say, well, I didn't know church membership was biblical. I thought that was something that a bunch of people made up so they could count things and raise money and do things like that. No. Church membership is biblical. The scriptures reveal it in a number of different ways. The scripture says that church membership is like a bride who's being prepared for his, the groom. We're the bride of Christ. The church, we belong to him. And we're being made ready to be presented to him. The family, the body, the kingdom. All of these are something bigger than you and me that corporately we gather together and we are a part of something so much greater than I could ever be a part of alone. Church membership is biblical. So, now let me dive into the text. He says, therefore, brothers, verse 19, since we have confidence to enter. I want you to see the reason for the instruction that he's about to give. He says, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. Now, do you remember the holy place in the Old Testament was the place that only a special priest, the most holy priest, the high priest could go once a year? Do you remember that? We talked about it last weekend, how a rope was tied around his waist and bells put on his ankles. So just in case something bad happened in there, and, and old Philip in there started, he, he stopped moving, we could drag Philip out. And, and what the author of Hebrews says is now by the blood of Jesus Christ. Since we have been saved from sin into the priesthood, now I, you, we, all who have trusted in the blood of Jesus have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Christ. There's no separation between God and man. I don't need a human mediator to go talk to God for me. I get to go to God now. And so do you. God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, has brought you into his presence. That's why on the cross, when Jesus breathed his last, the veil in the temple was torn in two, signifying that we have unlimited access to God the Father through Christ. He says, you've been given confidence by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Verse 21 says, and since, here's another reason we have confidence, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Listen, I need you to know that Jesus was the once and for all high priest. Jesus did not just offer a sacrifice for our sin. Jesus was the high priest who gave himself as the sacrifice for our sin. God in the flesh left heaven, came to earth, and came to die for the sins of mankind. And for that reason, we have confidence to enter into the holy places because Jesus is our high priest. Guess what the Bible tells us that he does now? He was our high priest in the way that he offered himself as a single sacrifice for sin. But now he is our high priest. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7 that right now he is interceding at the right hand of God the Father on every Christian's behalf. 
Isn't that good news? That's good news. So if you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior and you sin, and we will, that in that moment of our greatest need that Christ stands at the right hand of God the Father saying, Father, remember, that one belongs to me. I know he should not be doing that, but my blood has been shed for him and he is covered by it. Isn't that a blessing? Listen, if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, that is not true of you. But if you've got Jesus Christ on the throne of your heart and you're covered by his blood, then he stands daily, every moment of every day, at the throne of God, speaking to God as a mediator on your behalf. The blood of Jesus speaks every day for you. Not just 2,000 years ago on a cross. It speaks every day for you. He says, since we have confidence, he gives four instructions. Now, these are the reasons why we gather. These are four reasons why the church gathers they're right out of Scripture. I'm not trying to make up fancy names for them. They're straight out of Scripture. Look at what it says. The gathering, in verse 23, is a place that we draw near to God. It says, let us, did you see the us? Not you. He says, let us. This is a corporate instruction. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. I want you to understand that God is saying, hey, you want more of me? Come to me. Isn't that exciting? The God of the universe is saying, come to me. He has given us permission because of Jesus to draw near to him in a way that we have never been given that permission before in all of humanity, except the Garden of Eden. Since the Garden of Eden, God has never said, children, come to me, until the cross of Jesus Christ. And now because of the cross of Jesus Christ, he says, come to me. You come through Jesus, but come to me. He says, let us draw near to him. I love what the Bible says. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. God is saying, come to me. And the church, the gathering, is the place where we corporately say, there is someone, something of the greatest value that we've ever known. He's got more wisdom than I could imagine. He brings more joy than I could ever use. He gives me peace in the middle of the storm. He gives me healing for my brokenness. And together we say, we need him. Let's us draw near to God. It's corporate. Do you see it? It's corporate. Let us draw near. So the gathering is the place that we draw near. The gathering is a place where we, in verse 23, where we uphold the confession of our faith. It says, verse 23, let us hold fast. The confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. 
the, the gathering, this thing we call church, is a place where we say there is a truth that is not subjective. You know, outside the church, the culture that we live in says, well, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. And let bygones be bygones. You do you. You live your truth, and I'll live my truth. And God says, no, I am the truth. And we here, we unite around truth. We unite around this confession of our hope. It says, let us hold on to it. And that's what we do here. People will say, well, the church is so outdated. Their, their, their belief systems are, oh gosh, they're just ancient. They should be updated. And we say, no. Our confession of faith, our con the confession of our hope does not need to be updated to this culture, but culture needs to be transformed by the ancient ways of the Gospels. Well, it doesn't line up with our culture. Let me tell you something, that ain't the Bible's fault. God is not to blame. Here's what I love about this passage. It's verse 23 it says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Listen. For he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. Let me tell you how it starts out. It starts out like this. Uh, I think I might have given this illustration in some places before. It starts out, uh, I remember going to the beach with, with my boys. And, um, and at first, they're timid of the ocean. You ever been there, family? Timid? They're timid of the ocean. They're kind of afraid. But then they get in a little bit. They get their toes wet. And then they want to get their knees wet. Daddy, walk out with me. And that, that boy of mine, that little girl of mine's holding tightly onto my hand. And then they, when they get their knees wet and those waves are splashing up and we're having a good time, what do they want to do? Let's go out a little more. And we go out a little more. And the waves are splashing up around their waist and they're jumping and they're squealing because that water's cold at first on your belly button. It's true. I don't know why it's scientifically proven. And they're, they're having a blast, and they daddy a little bit more, and they're holding on to that. And the deeper I get, the tighter they're holding on to my hand. And you know what always happens? One of these waves comes out of nowhere, and it's like nine feet tall, right? And I'm going, oh no, this is about to go bad. You been there, parents? The, not only does the wave get you, it gets them. But guess what happens as I see that wave coming? My child is no longer the strong one holding on. When I see that wave coming, guess what I begin to do? I'm grabbing onto them. I love this verse. It says, hold fast, right? To the confession of our hope without wavering. What happens when we waver? The one holding back onto you is stronger. Isn't that a, a great thought? It's never, your salvation has never been on the amount of your faith or the intensity of your faith. Your, faith. your salvation has always been based on the object of your faith. God is faithful. Who saves you? God does. What happens when you're unfaithful? That doesn't change God. He's faithful. So it's a place where we draw near. It's a place where we teach and uphold that confession of our hope. 
It's a place, see, the third thing in verse 24, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. It's a place where we sanctify one another. We get to partner with what God's doing in each one of our lives, and we get to participate by being used by God to sanctify one another. Sometimes that's like a Bible study where David Mettler is one of our teachers and he teaches in a Bible study and God uses him on a weekly basis to rub off off the rough spaces in our lives. And And sometimes it looks like this. There is a member of a Sunday school class who drives you crazy. And God is using that brother or sister to rub off the rough edges of you. Don't make me feel like I'm all alone here. You could point at them. Don't point at them. (laughs) It's Valentine's Day, Dave. Don't point. I'm just kidding. He didn't do it. I was just picking on him. Um, Listen. It's a place where God sanctifies us, and we get to participate in that. And it's a place where, for good or bad, I, I get to love people. And I need you to know, I don't always succeed at that. But that's what the Bible says that the gathering is. We draw near, we hold fast to the confession of our hope, we teach it, we uphold it, we sanctify one another... We stir one another up to love and good deeds. So when we gather together, each one of us should leave seeing, having seen somebody else. And because of that person's expression of faith or because of that person's devotion, man, my heart is stirred up. I want to love people like that. Let me tell you something. I love this church for a number of reasons. Number one is because when we do, I believe with all my heart, there are people here who just want to grab a hold of the fringe of Jesus' robe. They don't care what it takes. There are people here who want God. I love that about our church. I love it about our church that we have a passion to uphold and hold on to these, the sound doctrine, the good confession of our hope. I love that. We got people here who just love the Bible. They love it. And when the Bible conflicts with their worldview, they don't say, well, the Bible's wrong. They say, man, I'm wrong. I love that about this place. I love that people here will regularly stir me up. I wish that I was as faithful as they were, as generous as they were, as kind as they were, as welcoming as they were. I wish I worshipped like that. I wish I had a passion for this like they did. I love that about my church. The last thing that it says is a place of encouragement. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Let me tell you something, church family. There's no one here at this church who's been as encouraged by Seneca Baptist as Pastor Ryan. This church has the gift of encouraging people. Not all the time, but most of the time. I am so encouraged by so many people. I can't tell you on a regular basis, I get emails. Pastor, we're praying for you. Love you. That was knuckleheaded. Stop it. But I support you. I get emails like that. Cards. Just little cards in the mail. Thank you for your service. Thank you for preaching. Thank you. 
And I love that I get to be one of the biggest uh, recipients of encouragement. I know that you do that for one another. That's why the church is so important. That's why the church is so important. There's just something that you get inside of the walls of this building that you will not find outside of the walls of this building. Okay. As, as I close, I need you to hear me carefully. We're living in an interesting time. I, I believe with all of my heart that there will be spiritual consequences to the natural pandemic that we're facing. And the spiritual consequences within the walls of the capital C church will far outlast the pandemic in our land. And whether it's parents, and listen, I'm going to be talking to this camera a lot because this is who I'm talking to. We believe that worship attendance is necessary. It's expected. We believe that that Jesus ordained membership, that he died and purchased the church with his blood, and we believe that we should not neglect what he paid for with his blood. And so if you're out there, I, I want you to understand that, that you might say stuff like, well, I don't need to go to church to be saved. The, I can, and I can find one example of that in the Bible. There was a thief on a cross. And he never had to go to church to be saved. That was the only one. Every other person in the Bible was connected to God's people. You, you might not have to go to church to be a Christian. But you do have to go to church to be a successful one. To be an obedient one. You do. You cannot be an obedient Christian apart from going to church. And I don't just mean once every few months, or here a little, there a little. I mean being a part of God's family. Well, pastor, I'm a part of the Big C Church. When was the last time the Big C Church delivered a meal to your door? When was the last time the invisible church of God delivered a meal or wrote you a card? And the answer is never. Somebody who was a part of a church delivered you a meal. And when we were sick, man, you guys showered us with grace. Well, I love Jesus, Pastor. But that church is full of hypocrites. Y'all ever heard somebody say that? Darren Skippy, the biggest one is standing right here in front of you. Because he preaches a gospel that he can't live up to. But you know what? Jesus never came for those who thought they were healthy. He, he came for those who knew they were sick. And Lord, I know I'm sick. You understand? You understand that I love Jesus, but I don't love his church is like saying, Ryan, I, I love you, but your wife drives me crazy. I'll punch you in the nose. In Jesus' name, of course. And for his glory. You can't do that. It's the bride of Christ. Well, I love Jesus, but I don't love his church. It's an impossibility. 
You, you can't spurn the very thing that he purchased with his blood. Now, here's where I'm going to get emails later. Well, it's not safe to go to church. I told Liz what I was preaching. She was like, why don't you just preach on love or something? It's Valentine's Day. It's not safe to go to church. And, and, and I'm not a doctor. I don't claim to be. And I, so you meet with your doctor. But at some point in time, at some point in time, we've got to make a decision as to whom we will serve. And I, I, I'm not the one to make that judgment. It's not mine to make. But since... March of last year, we have been told by anybody who's in charge that since going, going to church is unnecessary, it's not wise because it's not safe. We've been told that church is it's an option, it's optional, it's not necessary. But I want to read you an article real fast, by just a part of an article by Dr. Edwin Leap, MD, entitled, Why People Keep Going to Church. He begins by saying, even during a pandemic, it's important to realize why worship is essential. I don't know this guy, but I like him. He continues, Religion is an ancient and vital part of human flourishing. Those of us who worship believe that we owe due reverence and obedience to the deity we acknowledge. It is a prioritization of my place in the universe. It gives meaning and purpose in a vast world which everyone struggles to comprehend. He concludes by saying, it would be wise. He's talking to physicians. He says, it would be wise to step back and realize that worship is essential to the lives, identities, and well-beings of our citizens. Now, not everybody's going to like that. But I want you to know we've got a 1,300-seat auditorium. You can come to church safely. There is a whole mask section, mask-required section, that's empty. Johnny Hunt shared this story last weekend. He was talking to a little girl, or he saw an interview of a little girl who was at one of his Johnny Hunt conferences. And he, the little girl was, the girl, young teenager, was being interviewed by a news reporter. And the news reporter said, aren't you afraid of the pandemic? You guys are all gathering. Aren't you afraid of the pandemic? And without blinking, she said, no, sir, there's actually one we truly fear. We fear and worship God over everything else. Johnny Hunt concluded, he said, faith and fear cannot coexist. Now, I wanted you to know, it's not my place to make judgments. I'm not, I'm not talking about your content of your character, church family online. I'm not talking about the content of your character. I don't know your heart. But what I am doing, church family, is I'm preaching God's word leading God's church, and asking you to honestly examine your own heart. Many have said, I'll go to church when? And I pray that they would. My purpose today is to reaffirm God's intention for the church and instruction to gather together. We see people in the New Testament doing so and they understand the risks involved and yet they realize that the reward 
for the obedience to the gospel is far outweighs the risk. It's never been a safe thing to go to church. I fear the days ahead it's not going to be safe to come to church again. But the question is, will the church be obedient? We expect members of Seneca Baptist to, to gather together safely, wisely, yet gather together. Now, as we pray, as we conclude our service, there are two things that I want to call people to. One is to pray for our church. The church that Jesus purchased with his blood and he's building even today. I want you to just pray for our church. Would you pray for God to strengthen it? Pray for God to protect it from the attacks of the enemy. That you would ask God to put a, a hedge of protection around our church. Both from physical uh, intruders and spiritual ones. Secondly, there are some people who might need to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. You don't know. You don't have any, 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 any uh, assurance that if you would die today that you'd go to heaven. It's time for you to trust in Jesus for salvation. And the third, if there's anybody who's looking to be a part of a church family, I would love to begin that process with you. So would you stand with me? You respond how the Lord leads you. And if you'd, if you'd like to move from your seat, you come on down. You can use this place as an altar. You can use the front pews. You can kneel right where you are. And if you'd like to make the next step in becoming a member of our church, you do that right now. Father, move. Move among us, Lord. Thank you for your word. I pray that you'd use it. And I pray, Father, that we would see the vital role that Seneca Baptist plays in the lives of its members. And we would do everything that we can to reach out to people on our roles but not coming, to minister to them, love them, and to encourage them back. And Father, we would do everything to, to seek you, to draw near, to hold fast, to encourage one another. Father, you promised in your Bible that you will build your church, so I'm asking you to do that in your time and your way. Father, and we in prayer seek you because you're the one who can bring the power of heaven down to earth. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.